Something strange is growing in the middle of the Atlantic. It covers an insane amount of surface and smells of rotten eggs and might be coming for our beaches. While the truth of the matter isn't as scary as social media and the news makes it seem, scientists still have a lot of questions about the annual sargassum mass. So sit back, relax, and join us as we explore the fascinating world of ocean science and learn more about the sargassum blob and its possible impact on the Florida coast. This is Ocean Science Radio, and we're glad you're with us. Welcome to Ocean Science Radio, the podcast that brings you the latest, greatest, and sometimes deepest stories in the ocean. I'm ocean and climate communication specialist, Andrew Kornblatt. And I'm aquanaut, shark ecologist, and aspiring badass, Francis Faribault. Today, we're diving into a topic that has been making waves in the ocean science community, the sargassum blob. The massive bloom of brown seaweed known as sargassum has been making its way towards the coast of Florida, causing concern among scientists, beachgoers, and locals alike. The sargassum blob is a natural phenomenon, but its size and intensity are unprecedented, raising questions about its potential impact on the marine ecosystem as well as on tourism and coastal communities. To help us better understand this phenomenon, we've invited an expert to discuss the science behind the sargassum blob, its causes and consequences, and what we can do to prepare for its arrival. Without further ado, let's bring on Brian. My name is Brian Barnes, B-R-I-A-N-B-A-R-N-E-S, and I am a research assistant professor at University of South Florida College of Marine Science. Okay, Brian, what exactly is sargassum? Besides a fun word to say. So sargassum is a brown macroalgae, which macro just means large in contrast to micro. Usually the other algae you hear about in the ocean is like phytoplankton. So microalgae, this is macro. You can see it, hold it in your hand, everything like that. And more or less what it looks like to me, at least, is if you were to grab a handful of like blades of grass and then you put some peas on there and they link it all together and, and turn it brown. That's kind of the look and the feel. The peas are what keeps it afloat in the ocean. So in the ocean, it is a, a habitat for uh, a lot of juvenile creatures. If you think about like the vastness of the ocean, something floating would look like an oasis to a, a juvenile creature and it will aggregate there. And that brings in larger creatures like larger fish, you know, birds, marine mammals, everything hangs out in these sargassum patches because they are such a habitat or some structure, some protection in the middle of the vastness of the ocean. So is it kelp? It's very closely related to kelp. Kelp we often refer to as being held down by the bottom. So it's got a hold fast that keeps it keeps it on the bottom of the ocean throughout its life or connected to the bottom of the ocean throughout its life. This is up in the water column, actually floating usually within the top meter or so, if not right at the surface throughout its entire life. It's never connected to the bottom. Brian's work uses satellite data to look at the ocean and assess the general health concerns there. So I look for things like some kind of sediment plume that's that's caused by perhaps something like dredging or any kind of natural or or man-made activities. Or we can look for algae blooms. These are those like phytoplankton algae blooms, red tides, or not harmful blooms, just general algae blooms. 
we often look for in optically shallow waters. So that's where my area of specialty is uh, more specifically is optically shallow waters. Those are areas where you can see the bottom from a satellite or any above water camera, more or less. So we can see the bottom on the optically shallow water. So we can make some assessment of what's down there, be it corals or seagrasses or something like that. And also uh, what kind of condition it's in. So tell us about the satellites you use in making these observations. Again, most of what I do is looking more at coastal environments, but they do collect data over the entire globe. In particular, some that we've been using for a long, long time are two satellites. The sensor is called MODIS on two different satellites. One's Aqua and one's Terra. So those are kind of the workhorse of the satellite ocean color community. Although I mostly look in, in coastal waters, we can easily broaden our scope to look at the global ocean. And we do that to look at global trends, things related to climate change or, or phytoplankton changes, chlorophyll concentration changes over large scales. It was in doing that that we found these types of blooms. We found them uh, in, in news reports that there were sargassum coming up onto beaches. And then we would look and we say, we can, well, we can see it out in the ocean. And then we broaden the scope and look out in the full Atlantic Ocean. And that's where you get the full picture of the, the sargassum belt. Now, it isn't just imagery that Brian and his team use in monitoring things like the sargassum bloom. These eyes in the sky can capture much more than that. The satellites that we use, I'll select MODIS, for example, because it's the one that we have the longest and best time series to look at sargassum. But these are Earth-observing satellites. MODIS is launched by NASA, but we use data from European Space Agency as well. And they are orbiting the Earth, looking down. And yes, they record what we would think of as imagery, which is more or less like what your digital camera would take. But they record in a whole bunch of different wave bands as well. So it's not just looking at like a red, a green, and a blue to put together an image like your eye would see. It's looking at very narrow spectral features. And that's what we can use to really clearly identify sargassum and distinguish it from things like water or other floating matters, really. One of the types of satellites that Brian uses in his work, specifically the MODIS, are what are called coarse resolution sensors. When they look down, their field of view for each measurement is about one kilometer squared or larger. We've done measurements to see, well, what is the smallest amount of sargassum that we can see in such a one kilometer squared footprint? And it's something like 2,000 square meters. So we can see 0.2% if 0.2% of a pixel or a target is covered by sargassum, then we can see it. But 2,000 square meters is a pretty big sargassum patch. When we go into shore, there are other satellites that we use that are a little bit higher resolution. These are ones that are like Landsat and the Sentinel-2 series. Those guys are more designated for land uses and they have a finer spatial resolution. So instead of one kilometer square, you have 30 meters squared. And that's how we can track these things with a little bit finer resolution inside areas that are covered by these land-based satellites. Brian walked us through what happens to the data that these satellites collect. The full data stream, the satellite collects the data, it's transmitted to a ground station, and then it's uh, aggregated into kind of a full geographically continuous type picture. And then those data are provided by NASA and we acquire them. And then we do this uh, detection, again, where we're looking at a specific spectral feature to identify sargassum. 
but it's really hard to distinguish this. Again, there's often such low concentrations relative to the large size of the pixel. So we have to differentiate it from nearby waters. And so there's some differencing that goes on between the uh, reflectance spectra of the sargassum pixel and then nearby waters. And then once we get an idea of the area, the aerial density that's being covered by sargassum, as well as the location, we can geolocate the pixels to know exactly where each pixel is like on a georeferenced map. The team puts everything into grid form, a rectangular projection, and then aggregate them again because they're seeing such a small percentage of things. Like these are big patches of sargassum. And small patches, but it isn't a single blob. Brian explains. The smallest size patch we see would be something like an acre or something like that, or a football field sized. So trying to display this, the sargassum isn't one contiguous blob that covers the entirety of from West uh, Africa through the Caribbean. It is a bunch of these small patches. The patches can be the size of a handful. The smallest that we can see is about an acre. So a little bit smaller than a football field and go up to like a square kilometer or square mile even. So they can get quite big. The problem is trying to display this in a context that's meaningful, something that is the size from West Africa, all Central America, but each individual unit is only the size of a football field. You can't even for a major city, you can't even like point to all the individual football fields in a city, they end up, end up just looking like one individual blob. And so I think that's when I mentioned before the issues that I have with sometimes how this is portrayed as a blob. It is not a blob. It is many, many, many smaller blobs that when you zoom out and look at them, they, they kind of look like one contiguous unit. So how much space exactly are we talking about between these different non-connected blobs? It depends. It can be quite a lot of distance between individual patches, or they can be right next to each other. And our ability to distinguish that, even with the higher resolution sensors, like I was talking about Landsat and Sentinel-2 series, you know, these have 10 to 30 meter spatial resolution. But in that, there will be mixed pixels within that 10 to 30 meter squared measurement. Again, the patches can be quite small or quite large, and they kind of flow into each other in and out with the surface currents. So what, what you see is one contiguous patch on one day will move with the surface currents, but it wouldn't necessarily be the same exact orientation and everything like that the next day. In regards to sargasm production, is there a normal cycle? And where are we in that cycle? Normally, what we've observed since we've started seeing these blooms is that there is a low point in the winter, November, December, somewhere around June, July. And that's considering the entire Central Atlantic as a whole different areas will have that, that low point or that peak earlier or later in the year, depending on where they are on the overall track. Usually this the first time that we can pick up the bloom in the satellite imagery is off West Africa. That's when the patches get big enough or dense enough that we can see them. And then it transits west into the Caribbean through the Lesser Antilles and all the way west to the Yucatan, then up into the Gulf of Mexico, and does a U-turn with the loop current inside the Gulf of Mexico and exits uh, into the North Atlantic between Florida and Cuba. So that's called the Straits of Florida. And we kind of lose it a little bit after it's on that track towards the Northern Atlantic along the Gulf Stream. The sargasm expands the most in the summer because the temperature is right and the light environment is right, just like for any other plants. 
The sargassum grows throughout the spring and then peaks out in the early summer. But all of this is actually relatively new. The first time that we saw any bloom at all was 2011. And we have pretty much every year since then, uh, there was one year where we did not have a bloom, but almost every single year it's gotten larger and larger along a, along a trend. There's some deviation from that. Again, one year there was no bloom. One, uh, 2018 was an exceptionally high bloom. But on the whole, the bloom just gets larger every year. As we're in the, the low season for this year, so late 2022, the overall sargassum abundance in the central Atlantic was higher than the peak abundance that we would see in something like 2014, 2015, some of the earlier years of the bloom. So the size is absolutely not normal. The fact that there is a bloom is not normal in the context of the central Atlantic and also the size since we've started seeing blooms, just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And we anticipate that 2023 will be uh, the largest bloom of any we've recorded. For those of you who might be thinking, well, obviously we just weren't capturing it on satellites before 2011. Brian has something to tell you. We first noticed in 2011, but it's important to remember that the satellite series I mentioned, MODIS, goes back to 2000. And so we looked back through that preceding 12 years, there's no trace of sargassum. Now recall that we can only measure sargassum when it gets to be a certain size. So certainly there was sargassum out in the, in the Atlantic prior to that. And indeed the, like the North Atlantic gyre has been called the Sargasso Sea for a long time. Th this is a natural habitat there, but these blooms, at least in the satellite records, were nowhere to be found prior to 2011. Now we have other evidence that says it wasn't, you know, back prior to 2000, there were no blooms. And that's the news reports that you see now of these mass inundations. There's, there's no historical news report of anything like that happening really on any beach in the Caribbean. We would see sargassum and you, you regularly see if you go to the beach, some level of sargassum, just handfuls and clumps here and there that are on the beach. They pose no problem but these larger, dense aggregations coming ashore and causing ecological problems is new in the satellite record. And also there's really no historical reports that we found of anything like that. Okay, Brian, what's the leading theory as to what's happening with sargassum or what started happening in 2011? Uh... <laughs> That's a great question, and I'm, I'm not sure that I have a, a satisfactory answer to it. There's a lot of other researchers who are digging into that, but it's hard to know, partially because this is such a new phenomenon. We've only had 12 or so years of blooms, and trying to find a correlative uh, as compared to a causative reason for them coming on and also for them expanding in size, it, it's really hard. In researching this episode, we found that the most recent estimate of the bloom was 5,000 miles long, 400 miles wide, and over 6 million tons. Brian, are these numbers still accurate? I can actually update your, your numbers a little bit since we've started processing some of the March data set and calculating some of these uh, overall estimate numbers. But in general, you're pretty much correct. It's 5,000 miles linear distance, if you consider the start of the bloom being off the west coast of Africa, all the way through the Caribbean, 
into Central America, essentially hitting the Yucatan Peninsula and then into the Gulf of Mexico and out, that linear distance is about 5,000 miles. And then 400 miles wide, at its widest, certainly. At its narrowest, it's, you know, tens of miles. And then 6 million tons, as I've processed more and more data, I think the number is closer to 12 million tons right now. The 6 million was recorded in February, but I think we had a little bit of, the satellites can't see through clouds. And I think we missed some of the larger patches, even for the whole month, because there were just some that were underneath clouds during the time that the satellites overpassed. It's especially important to keep in context for this entire area that we consider 5,000 miles long, 400 miles wide at its widest. The aerial coverage of Sargassum for region is something like 0.1%. So one-tenth of 1% 1 of that area is actually a surface uh, clump or mat or windrow of Sargassum. Everything else is just open ocean. Okay, Brian, what happens in beaching events when the Sargassum comes ashore? Right. So the impacts for any individual beaching event could be essentially none. A small handful size patch comes ashore. It's you know, withers on the beach and nobody makes note of it, to the most extreme example being last year, in 2022, there was a, a Sargassum beaching event in the island of St. Croix, so that's in the U.S. Virgin Islands. They had an intake valve or an intake pipe for their desalination plant that got clogged because of all the Sargassum. So that threatens the critical infrastructure, the entire, the water supply for the island was threatened because of the sargassum. So that's like at the, at the, the macro, the most severe impacts are threatening critical infrastructure. As you get into kind of just general what happens in these, uh, in beaching events, the sargassum comes ashore, it can smother things like corals either by like shading them out, just kind of hanging out above the corals and just shading them. The corals need light to survive. And same thing with seagrasses. Uh, or it can start to die and get become submerged and smother the corals, so actually physically preventing the animal from uh, either A, getting any light, or B, harvesting any food from the water. In inshore environments, corals, hard bottom habitats, seagrass, sponge beds, uh, mangroves especially, these are areas that if the sargassum gets into or onto one of these environments and is allowed to decay, then it, it can really kill uh, or at least harm in long term the health of these habitats. So these sargassum bloom beachings can be dealt with. What is the lift in mitigating the rotten egg ocean plant invasions? It depends on your ability, your capacity to clean it up. So even if you have, you know, a huge, huge patch, if your resource managers were there and the cleanup is, is ready to happen and you are able to do it in a timely fashion, then you can minimize the impacts. The problem becomes as the patches get larger and larger, the to deal with them promptly and promptly is within a, several days. The ability to remove the sargassum becomes harder and harder as the patches become larger and larger. Okay, Brian, we have talked a lot about the impact of this giant, sticky brown stuff. So this mass of sargassum, is it a net good thing or a net bad thing for the ocean? I went back and forth on this question, and I'm not sure I can weigh it. I will say in the ocean, as I said, this is a natural habitat. There have been aggregations, different communities of you know, fish, invertebrates, and so on, who have evolved to use these types of pelagic, so open ocean ecosystems 
to their benefit. So it, it is a community within the, uh, the open ocean. Once it gets onto the beach or in the nearshore environment, obviously it's a very bad thing. On some level, most of that biomass that we talk about, the 12 million tons and so forth, most of that stays offshore and continues on its journey. And only, you know, this is, this is really localized beaches that have issues from this. On net, it is very harmful to very specific locations and very beneficial to the ocean as a whole. One thing that has been going around the internet has been looking at this growing plant life as some sort of solution for our world's carbon, as a way to sink our carbon into the ocean. Brian has some thoughts on that. Well, geoengineering in general, I think, is, has been innovative on this. You know, you have such biomass coming in ashore. I love the stories of trying to turn this, the stuff that comes ashore into biofuel or turning it into construction materials or, or something like that, some a way to deal with it. I, Love that aspect of it. As far as a carbon sink, you the problem is it, you, you have to make it heavy enough to sink. Just having the the patch grow itself, you know, it will grow ability to float as it gets larger and larger. What makes it sink is as it gets things like epiphytes and other like barnacles and things like that attaching to it. And that's what can cause it to to submerge and sink and thus be pull down, draw down carbon. So I don't know how you would do that, but if someone is able to figure it out, more power to them. Got it. How do you think the sargassum bloom will act in the future? As far as we can tell, we have not identified any indication that the growth is slowing. As I mentioned, since 2011 and every year that we've had a bloom, it's pretty much gotten bigger with some outliers. Again, 2018 was a massive bloom that was way out of the general trend line. But we haven't seen any indication that we've reached the a tipping point whereby these will start getting smaller or anything like that. It's just following the, the most basic current projection. It's getting larger every year. So we expect it to get larger and larger. As our podcast comes to a close, what should our listening audience know about the sargasm? I think one thing that's sometimes missed in this, again, it has to deal with the, you know, the showing the scale of it. And it sometimes looks like a blob and there's some mass that's just going to, you know, completely uh, overrun all of the beaches in the Caribbean and in Florida and so forth. This is not something to panic about. With proper response, it can be remediated, but that response is not cheap. You know, it does, uh, it takes a lot of effort to be ready for it. And then also an, a lot of effort to actually go out there and clean up and mitigate the larger impacts from it. I mean, I get emails regularly from vacationers. Hey, is this going to hit this beach six months from now? First, it's very hard to predict which individual beaches are going to be hit, but more than likely the answer is no. This is a, it's a global scale or at least an oceanic scale problem with very local impacts. So you listeners at home, stop calling Brian and asking him what beaches to hit up. He has other important work to do. A big thank you to our guest, Brian, for joining us, and a big thanks to you, our listeners. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, comment, reach out to us, and go get your heads underwater in the ocean. Until next time, this has been Ocean, ocean Science, Science Radio. Radio. To help us better understand this phenomenon, we've invited an expert to discuss the science behind the sarcasm. The sarcasm blob. Sargasm <laughs> Very blob. different kind of phenomenon. <laughs>
Yeah, the sarcasm blob. Just like whatever. God, I wonder if it'll have any effects. God. 